Enos, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed, Peter said to him, Enos, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Peter sent them all out, and he knelt down, and he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up, calling the saints and the widows. He presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are our Father, the Father of mercies, the Father of lights. And we're your children, Father, sons and daughters, beloved sons and daughters, because of your Son. We're adopted in in you, Lord God, because of your Son, Jesus, our Savior. Almighty God, we pray that you would comfort us today, cause us to look away from sin, especially self, and fix our eyes upon you, Jesus Christ. May we see that you heal the sick and raise the dead, physically and spiritually, and someday eternally. There will be no more sickness, no more death, only everlasting life, everlasting health, everlasting joy. You, Lord Jesus Christ, are all of those things to us, your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I've said it, I think, more than a few times. The book of Acts, and this section is no different, the book of Acts fundamentally is about the advance of the kingdom of Christ. And the kingdom of Christ is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, both here on this earth, the kingdom of grace. And I mentioned it in my pastoral prayer, that the church on earth is not the church militant, it's the church at rest, and it's the church in glory. And so that the kingdom of Christ is the church of Christ. And the book of Acts, this chapter included, is about the advance of that kingdom. And there's, there are differences how that will work among those are pre-millennial, amillennial like myself, post-millennial, which amillennialism is a form of post-millennialism, but that's another story, how that will work. And that is debatable. But what's not debatable is, is that the kingdom is advancing. And we're looking at it individually and then taken together, it will be built up corporately. And what I mean by that is this, is we see that many people come to believe in the Lord uh, in Lydda, and many people come to believe in the Lord in Joppa. They're individuals. They're joined to Jesus Christ. That's individually the church is being built up. One sinner saved in Christ at a time. And then when we take it collectively, we see the church is growing whether it's the church in these particular regions or the church just taken as a mass in whole. So we're looking at the way that the church is advancing and the way that the church advances, both individually, sinners coming to Christ and then the church corporately being built up, it's the same. It's the ministry of the word. God sends out his preachers, his heralds, the apostles, and they preach the word of God, teaching the whole world to observe all that Christ taught then baptizing, administering the Lord's Supper. But it's the ministry of the word. And that's what we see Peter doing. He ministers the word. And then that word is going to be confirmed 
in this case by good works. And this is the James and the Paul reconciliation. So we see with the healing of the sick and the raising of the dead, God the Holy Spirit is confirming the truthfulness of the gospel by these mighty miracles. So these are extraordinary good works, but they're good works. So we see the preaching of of Jesus Christ. People receive him. Then we see the administration of good works. Those good works, I'm going to argue in the sermon, are are, are a platform that God provides for his people. In this case, Peter extraordinarily, to attract people to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ went about doing good to the bodies and the souls of people. Now, we're Protestants. We're justified by faith alone. But that doesn't mean we don't believe in good works. We have a whole chapter in our secondary standard, chapter 16, on the place of good works. So Peter, when he raises the dead and heals the sick, this is a good work. And those miracles testify to the individual and to the people around them that the gospel of Jesus Christ is true. And that they believe in the Lord Jesus. Luther said this, God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. So Christians should be the most loving, the most kind, not just in word, but in deed. Peter does it extraordinarily, does good works. We as uninspired people, we can do it ordinarily with a cup of cold water, a visit uh, to someone who is a shut-in, a coat for someone who's cold, all of those kind of things. And they attract people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it's God, the Holy Spirit, that, that opens people's hearts, but these are the means. Uh, so to see a person that says, I believe in Jesus and he has no good works, uh, that's James 2, which I commend to your reading. So we're looking at the advance of Jesus' kingdom uh, through the preaching and through good works. We have three things in this passage. And what you'll see in verse 32 is Peter is visiting the, the saints in the churches that have heretofore been established. And then the second thing that we'll see is he heals this fellow, uh, Enos and Lydda. And then the third thing that we'll see in our section is he will raise this woman, uh, Tabitha, from the dead in uh, Joppa. So those three things. But in, in those three things, I hope to show the significance of healing of the sick and raising of the dead. Um, yeah, that, that, that's my purpose. I don't want to get too far afield. But let's look at the first thing, the visitation of the saints. So in verse 32, Peter was traveling through all of those regions. The reason I I read verse 31 is those are the regions that Peter was traveling. What the Holy Spirit does for us here in this section, Acts begins with the works of the Apostle Peter, the ministry, and then it will get into the work of the Apostle Paul. And we back up a little bit here. At the end of chapter 9, we're back looking at Peter's ministry in chapter 10, he's gonna, we're going to see the first Gentile convert without coming to uh, Israel, uh, Cornelius, the Roman centurion. It's the ministry of the Apostle Peter. So we're, we're backing up and we're looking at the ministry of the Apostle Peter again, which is significant for us. And so he's traveling through um, Galilee, uh, Samaria, and Judea. And I want to talk about the man, but perhaps I'll just th- throw a little bit about the region that he's in. Where he is traveling, if you picture the promised land, which is the region that we were just describing, picture it like a triangle, excuse me, a rectangle with a small end on the south and then uh, the, the, uh, the larger ends on the east and the west, Jordan River, Mediterranean Sea, uh, Galilee at the top. So you have Galilee, Samaria in the middle, 
in Judea at the bottom. Lydda and Joppa are at the at, in Judea. They're on the bottom. So Peter is traveling around, visiting those various churches, and um, visiting the saints, as we're told, that have been established. Let's just talk a little bit about the man that we see here, Peter. First, Peter is a Jew. He is converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. His birth name was Peter. It was Jesus Christ that changed his name. His birth name, excuse me, is Simon. And Jesus changed his name from Simon into Peter. Peter signifies rock. I know the church of my youth makes a lot about that from Matthew chapter 16. Uh, your name is Peter and upon this rock. I believe the rockness of Peter is his profession, not his person. And it's profession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, the sin bearer, the, the curse remover. What we're looking at with the healing of, of the sick and the raising of the dead is in the name of Jesus, Jesus takes away the curse of God for man's sin. That's essentially what's going on. So when Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, you are the sin bearer, you are the sin remover, the curse remover. So that's the rock upon which the church is built. It's that profession of faith in Jesus. I say that additionally for this reason. Our salvation is not ultimately founded upon any minister, not the Apostle Peter, not the Apostle Paul, on no mere men. The Bible says that our salvation, our eternal hope, is founded upon Jesus, who is our foundation, and he's the capstone. We, we rest for the good of our bodies and soul upon only Christ. No mere man, no mere minister, not Peter, not Paul, only Christ. Does that make sense? And so, but Peter makes this wonderful profession of faith. I, I want you to see something. Right after Peter makes this wonderful profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus, Jesus says to Peter, you are blessed by God my Father. God my Father opened your eyes to the truthfulness of who I am savingly. I asked this at Sunday school, we're teaching on the Bible, and I asked the Sunday school people, why do we believe the Bible to be the word of God in the better part of the world? does not believe the Bible is the word of God. What's the difference between you and those who are unbelievers? What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has taken out your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit's given you faith. And so Jesus looks at Peter and says, you are blessed beyond degree. You have saving faith. And right after that, what does Peter say to Jesus? You're not going to the cross. You're not going to go to the cross. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. And then a short time after that, Peter is telling Jesus, even if all of the other guys defect from you, I never will. What do we call that, beloved? Pride. Pride. How any of us can be proud? We are the proudest critters in the world, are we not? When, you, when we look in the mirror, how can we be pr prideful? But we are prideful. And then he miserably defects from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he denies even knowing Jesus with a curse in Christ's darkest hour. So we go from you are the Christ to I never, I don't even know who this guy is. Beloved, where is Peter right now? He's in heaven. That's the believer. This is the Romans 7. 
we go from professing faith, meaning our profession, having the profession, seemingly super strong in the faith, and then the moment the devil sifts us like wheat, what happens? Our faith fails us. Beloved, our faith is probably weaker than we think it is. And our flesh is probably stronger than we think it is, right? And those things are only proven when? In a test. Many years ago, I was a carpet cleaner, and I was in a town called Havana. It's written Havana, but it's pronounced Havana. And I was a Christian, loved Jesus, thought I was ready to die at a moment's notice and go to be with Jesus. I got lost on a man's posted property. He was drunk, and he came out, and he said he was going to blow my brains out. And I didn't want to die instantly. (laughs) My willingness to die failed at the moment death came a-knocking. Beloved, that's man. That's the believer. Our, Our faith, we think it's so strong. And when we're tested in a time of temptation, sometimes it fails. But here's the wonderful news that we see. Our standing in Jesus doesn't ultimately depend upon us. We're not kept in Christ because we keep ourselves in Jesus. Jesus said, I pray, I'm praying for you. And when you return, I, when your faith is strengthened, I'm going to restore you to office. So we have a man that professes faith that he fails miserably. Jesus restores him to office. And I mean restores, restores him to office. Sometimes we forgive people. Let me do the, the air quotes. I forgive you. Let's say they really do. Most people don't confess their sin and repent. Like to us, they just say, my bad. I don't mean that. I mean real confession, real repentance. We're supposed to give real forgiveness. And we never let them off the mat. They're always in the back of the bus. They're second class. We never restore them. Peter, Jesus doesn't do that. He restores Peter. You remember when he restores him? And Is it John 21, 22? And he says, Peter, do you love me? What does Peter say? Remember before, he was only concerned about being number one in the kingdom. What is, he says, do you love me more than everybody else? And what does he say? I, I love you. And then Jesus says to him, what? Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. That's what we see Jesus, Peter doing. That horrible fall for Peter. You know, Romans 8, 28, everybody quotes usually out of context and we, we hurt people by doing it. Everything works together for the what? For good. It means it. Everything works together for the good of those who love God. So for the real believer, everything will work for good. Don't ask me to tell you exactly how that works in your life. Because if you're going through some really bad pain, I, I I'm probably don't know how. But will it? Will that horrible, painful thing still work for your good? Yeah. And for Peter, it did something for Peter that made him a better Christian and a better servant of Jesus. It humbled his what? Pride. And Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm just an elder. I'm just a servant. I just want to serve. So what we find him doing, he's traveling around. He's not walking around saying, I'm the Pope. Call me Papa. He's doing none of that. He is content to serve Jesus where Jesus places him. Remember, he says, what about John? And Jesus says to him, what? Forget about John. I have work for you to do. 
be content to be a servant. And so his failure, if you, if you have failed in sin, I'm reading a treatise right now, a lecture series on love by J.C. Ryle. I, it is hurting my feelings. Boy, John, you're not a very loving guy. Stab, stab, ouch, ouch. It's good to be humbled because then we can repent and we can fly to Christ and we can live for him. So what we see Peter now doing is he's not walking around saying who's going to be the best in the kingdom. What is he doing? Where are some feet to wash? Where are some saints to serve? How can I do good in the generation in which God has placed me? That's what he's doing. So that's the man. And beloved, we, I, I think we should look at our lives in Jesus Christ, at the afflictions that Jesus Christ sends us in, into our lives, even our failures. How will God turn these things into making me a more serviceable servant of Jesus? How can, how can I better serve Jesus with what's going on in my life? If you say, well, I'm a mess, go to Jesus. <laughs> seek Christ's wisdom and favor and and then seek to use it for the glory of God. There are plenty of people that are messes. Why don't you point them to Christ where we need to go? So we see a man. Peter is on, a, he is the man with a mission. Um, Peter is a man with a mission. Zeal means kind of a singularness of, uh, of, of mind, of heart. Um, you know, they call people fans. And fan is, a fanat- is short for fanatic. I, I'm not a sports fan so if, if you are, I understand, but I can't relate. I've never been this way except boxing. When I was a kid, boxing. I can't jump into, I don't even care, with the ball and the hitting, I don't even care. And we get crazy. And we, we're frenetic and zealous about a great many things. What about being zealous for, for Christ? And zealous for the souls of, this is Peter. He's running around zealous to tell people about Christ and to do good to people. Zealous Christians make other non-zealous Christians nervous. Do they not? Oh, you want to be moderate in all things. You want to be moderate in all things except Christianity. You want to be super immoderate with your Christianity. You want to be utterly devoted to Jesus. You, you can't be zealous enough with knowledge, I understand. But he's a man on a mission. And the mission is to preach Christ and to build up the churches that are established and, 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 and to, to edify God's people. And that's what he's doing. He has a purpose in his life. And he's going around visiting all of those regions, as I said. Lydda and Joppa are in Judea, at the very end of Judea. Let's see, Joppa's right on the coast. Joppa's like 35 miles, what is it, uh, north, northwest of uh, Jerusalem. And Lydda is about 10 miles inland from, from that. But they're in Judea. With the Apostle Peter, he, the apostles were not ordinary pastors of a local church. I think Timothy was a pastor of a local church. Some argue that he was a bishop. Um, Titus, pastor of a local church in Crete. But the apostles were not. They were kind of itinerants. They would preach Christ, evangelize, and then they travel around to those various churches that are established and they build them up. The Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul, excuse me, does the same thing. He travels around back over his missionary um, travels and seeks to edify those saints that have been built up. Now, notice that 
Peter goes to visit people that are called saints. Beloved, the, the Roman Catholic Church is the one, we, I don't believe this, it's not true, that will canonize a person, that will make them a saint. And they have a whole process for it. It's not biblical. To be a saint means a holy one. By Peter is visiting people that are called holy ones. Well, how are they holy ones? How are these people holy ones? If you read the Bible at all, even a little bit, what is the nature of man apart from God, apart from God's saving grace, apart from God's saving Christ? What is the nature of man? It's the Ukrainian war is what it is. It's, it's Russia and the Ukraine. Turn on our news. Turn on our, we have a school shooting every week. Literally every week there's a school. Am I, am I right with that or wrong with that? That lunatic is killing people out in Moscow, wherever it, it is. That, that's natural man. Natural man is a wolf. And he's anything but holy. Natural man, man apart from Jesus Christ. And Whitfield, half a beast, half a devil. Right? Romans 3, 10 through 18. We're anti-God. We're, we're pro-sin. We're little rebels. You look at, you look at natural man. Look at, it, look, at a, look at a little tiny, tiny child. Do you have to teach a child to lie? No. No. We're natural rebels. And the only way that we can be called holy ones is to be found in Christ. It's Christ's holy. When he visits these people and the Bible calls them holy ones, saints, we went from being natural people to supernatural people, from being outside of Jesus to being in Jesus. Jesus takes our filth and we take Christ's holiness or righteousness, both in justification and in sanctification. Our holiness is gifted to us. Does that make sense? Because sometimes people say, non-Christians or Christians, y'all think you're so good, you're the only ones going to heaven, and we're so bad, we're going to hell. Beloved, that's not true. Everybody's so bad, and they all deserve to go to hell. The only people that are going to heaven are those people that have had our sins washed away and imputed to Christ and His holiness given to us. And so He's going around visiting these holy ones, these graced ones, they're believers. That's what he's seeing. And he wants to build them up in the faith. I mentioned Paul and Barnabas do the same thing. Acts 14. Listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul and Barnabas doing what Peter's doing, strengthening the, the believers. And sometimes we think, and I hope my, my pastoral prayer didn't bum you out and you just wanted to run out of the church. Sometimes we think, if you're going to build me up, it has to be like this. No weeds in my garden. No weeds in my garden. Beloved, if you're at the graveyard or you're in the hospital and I say that to you, you do not like me because you think I'm mocking you and I am. Don't you want someone to tell you the truth, to encourage you? Listen to this, Acts 14, 21. This is Paul and Barnabas. After they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples... They, Paul and Barnabas, returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. That's what Peter's doing. Encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's what Peter's doing. He's telling them the truth. Stay the course. Believe in Christ. Look to Christ. Life is real hard. Christ is good. Believe. Follow after him. Christ is for this life and Christ is preeminently for the next. 
Now, I, I want to say something, and I don't want to take myself down a rabbit hole. The church that Jesus is building and that Peter is edifying is people, not a building. The church that Jesus has purchased and that Peter is strengthening and Paul is strengthening is not a building, is people. Why do I say that? People will kill you over the color of the chair. You all have chairs or you all have uh, 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 benches. And you think that that is insignificant, right? It's not insignificant. He's going around visiting people. We as Christians, I know people say Jesus is the reason for the season. No, he's not. He, maybe he should be, but he isn't, clearly. People are bananas. They're spending money they don't have. And they're not loving and not kind. None of it. People will blow church off on next Sunday. Why? For the good of Jesus? No, so they can hang out with their family. He's not. He's not. Am I, am I wrong? If we were, we should be more concerned with people than stuff. What's going to happen to stuff? It all burns. What's going to happen to buildings? They all crumble. Only people have immortal souls. Beloved, we, we could, we could, and notice he doesn't come down visiting the Baptist saints, or, or it doesn't say he's coming down to visit the Presbyterian saints. We should be the most loving, the most profuse in our love, the most ecumenical in our love, as Peter is, seeking to do good to the saints. Someone who loves Jesus. If they love Jesus and you're a Presbyterian and they're a Baptist, Love them. Serve them. Minister to them. There's going to be no hyphenated church in heaven. And before you say I'm not a Presbyterian, of course I am. But I'm a Christian. And we see P- Peter is building up the saints. And now we see him healing the sick in Lydda. Paul's traveling around visiting the saints, as we've said. He meets this fellow, uh, Enos. And we're right to assume that he's a saint. That means this fellow who is a paralytic is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not insignificant. Um, if you yourself have ever struggled with a chronic a chronic illness or an intensely painful, both, both intensity and indoor duration, difficulty, particularly duration, as a believer, what can sometimes you be tempted to think? Well, God doesn't love me. God is not good. God is not kind. Because I'm a Christian, and look at me. I'm a mess. This guy, is he, he's a paralytic. It, clearly, something wrong with his legs or feet because he can't get out of bed. And he's been there for eight years. Eight years. We're Americans. We, we, we will not watch people at, a, watch people at Chick-fil-A. They'll kill you if they're in line for more than five minutes. Eight years. Eight years you can't get out of bed. And you're a believer. See the difference? We want to say bad things happen to bad people. And we're not bad people because we're in Jesus. So I guess we're all going to be super healthy and super wealthy. And the Bible comes along and says, here's a man that loves Jesus. He's forgiven. 
He's reconciled. God calls this fellow my beloved son. Enos, paralyzed, laying on his bed, can call God, God his father. All of the promises of the Bible are to this fellow what? Yes, and while he's laying in the bed. How do we understand that? Because it's all true. We ourselves cannot be tempted. Maybe this means I'm an unbeliever since I'm sick. No. no. Paul had an eye problem. Timothy had a stomach problem. Timothy had anxiety out the yin-yang. He had to drink wine for his stomach. Paul said, take it easy, buddy. No? Yes. Don't believe it when someone says, if you come to be a believer, oh, it is clear sailing. In the moment it isn't clear sailing, that probably means your faith is not true. Take him to this. Here's Enos, a believer. A peril, peril. Take him to, to Tabitha. In Tabitha, they highlight her good works. She's a super saint, super godly woman, like Christ. And what happens? She gets sick and dies. And that's important for us. We want to receive the word of God as it teaches it. So here's this fellow. He's dependent upon other people. He is helpless. What can we conclude about sickness? Sickness is in the world. You can't deny it. I know there are people that are people who say, I'm in the optimist club. You can be in the optimist club all day long. You're going to the doctors and you're going to the, the graveyard. So you can say no weeds in your garden all day long. That does not take away what we've read with the, the catechism. It doesn't take away sickness, which is a, a little herald of something that comes after sickness, which is death. All sickness and all death. Now listen, because I don't want to be misunderstood. All sickness and all death is in the world because of Adam's sin against God. And because of God's curse against Adam and the world because of Adam's sin. Sickness is a herald of something that comes after sickness, which is death. Read Romans, excuse me, Galatians, uh, Genesis 3. So death is introduced into the world uh, as God's curse. So it's here because we, we live in a post-fall world. Why do, do I have problems and you have, Why? Sickness is in the world, death is in the world, because Adam sinned against God, and God said the wages of sin is death. It never changes. But how are we, how are we to understand that concerning Enos and even Tabitha? As a believer, our sicknesses and death a testimony that God is pouring out his justice or his wrath upon us. No, 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 no. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't want you to ever conclude this, that my sickness and even the, my impending death means that I'm an object of God's wrath. Don't ever conclude that. As a believer in the Lord Jesus, all of God's wrath goes to Christ. All of God's love goes to you. All. There is no condemnation. So we can't say, as a believer, this is a testimony that God is pouring out his justice on me. No. Christ gets that. Sometimes in God's providence, he does, God does for true believers, send affliction like a sickness as a form of fatherly correction. And there is one writer that says this, 
sanctified affliction, sanctified sickness is better than unsanctified health. You ever thought of that? Sanctified sickness is better than unsanctified health. Why or how? The Bible says not many are what who believe in Jesus? Healthy and wealthy. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 27 to 31. Look at the people that are healthy and wealthy. What are they doing? We have arrived. The sanctified is the key. The sanctified is the key. If our sufferings, if our sicknesses drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ is the biggest blessing that we can ever imagine. It's the biggest blessing we can ever imagine. I think when we die and go to be with God in Christ in heaven, I think we will will know why God sent certain afflictions into our lives and we'll bless God for it. I am convinced that Jesus Christ keeps many of his servants from many, many sins by putting them on a sickbed. I am convinced that Jesus Christ keeps many, many of his servants very close with Jesus Christ by putting them on a sickbed. Why do I say that? The Apostle Peter wrote two-thirds of the New... Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. What did Jesus send him? A thorn of the flesh and a messenger of Satan that Paul says three times, I begged, 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 take it away. And Jesus said, no. All things work together for the good. Not flippantly, not tritely. That is going to make you better. A better believer. A better minister. Who is going to make a better comforter to a sick person than a person who has wrestled with affliction and found comfort in Jesus? Sometimes God, in his divine providence, like we see with Enos, he heals. And sometimes in his divine providence, he keeps the sickness. But beloved, he always loves us in it. Always. God always is meaning something good by it. Always. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to you. It is a fact. You can take this to the bank. In your affliction, Christ still loves you. And Christ is doing something. He's driving you away from whatever sin. And he's driving you to himself. You're going to be more in love with him. You're going to be more useful to his kingdom. You will be. You will be. And so we see God extraordinarily heals this woman. It's not Peter that heals. It's Christ that heals. We serve a living Christ, not a dead Christ. And then all of the things that were said concerning the sickness, they apply doubly to this fellow, to this woman, uh, Tabitha, that we meet in Joppa. I want to say a few things before we close regarding Christ through Peter raising this woman from the dead. Previously, we're told that God, Christ through Peter, has mercy on Enos, healing him. And now we're going to see that Christ through Peter has mercy on another person, this time a woman. The Bible says in the book of Galatians chapter 3, in Christ there is neither male or female. Jew, Roman, free, slave, that kind of thing. 
It doesn't mean economically. I don't mean I don't mean money. I mean function. Of course, there's still males. Of course, there's still females. What it means is that we're equally loved. Women are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. Christ equally loves males, men that love him. He equally loves women that believe in him, equally. There's, there's no difference. And Jesus can easily heal the, the fellow and, and raise the, the, the gal. That's what this is teaching. This is teaching that, that Christ is ubiquitous with his love. He goes everywhere. Will he have mercy upon the white ones, the brown ones, the rich ones, the poor ones? He, mercy, love, and we should be ubiquitous with our, with, with our expressions of love. But he has mercy on this particular woman. The Bible will highlight, just like we saw with Enos, that he's a saint. The Bible highlights that this woman is a disciple. She's a disciple of Jesus. And she, she's super abundant with good works. And this really is, is hard for us because as we said, we're tempted to think bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. We don't understand when bad things happen to good people. I know no one's good apart from themselves, but this is a good woman. She's found in Jesus. And she's not just a Johnny-come-lately Christian. She, she's helping the poor. She's, she's knitting all of these things. She super bounds in good works. And for all of this, what happens to her? She gets sick. I don't want to restate what I've just said. Beloved, if you are sick, if you're in affliction, it may... It may not have anything to do with any of your sin. It, your affliction, your suffering may have nothing to do with your sin. Nothing. God may not be saying, I am chastising you. I'm angry for your sin. It may have nothing to do with it. You know what it could be? This is a John chapter 9. Remember the guy who was born blind? From birth he was blind. And Jesus' disciples said, Who sinned? The guy's folks or this guy, they're thinking like that. Bad things happen to bad people. And what does Jesus say? None. Not for the sins of the folks. Not for this man's sin. It has, his blindness has nothing to do with his sin. You know what Jesus says? He's been born blind from birth for this very time, for right now. For what? So I could heal him so I could heal him. And people would know that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. That I am the curse remover. That I am the sin remover. That I am the life bringer. The joy bringer. His whole life was suffering to point people to Jesus. Beloved, I don't make fun of that. It, there are people that spend years and years and years in suffering as a believer all of it is under the government of God it may have nothing to do with your sin God may be providing you through your suffering a platform to present Christ to the world people are watching they're watching you you say you're a Christian mom you say you're a Christian dad you say you're a Christian minister you say and people are watching you. 
and we can even make an orthodox profession of faith. We can quote the catechism. I love the catechism. But people are saying, does this person trust in Christ when the sickness comes? Does this person still trust in Christ when death is coming near and they're watching? And when they see us as believers living for the glory of Jesus in sickness and impending death, it is a platform to woo people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, 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 when, I, when, I, when I read about this woman, Tabitha, I, I had a strange thought. You may think I'm a strange person. But I thought this. And I thought this for my own life. But I thought this concerning Tabitha. When Christ, through Peter, raises her from the dead, I wonder what she was thinking or she felt like the moment she saw Peter. You know what I'm getting at? I wonder if she wanted to just start crying when she saw Peter, and she, when she saw the room of all the, the people. I wonder if she wanted to just burst into tears. Why do, I, why do I say that? When she died, she went into the immediate presence of Jesus Christ. I want my mom back. I want my dad back. You want your mom and dad back. We want our loved ones back. Our loved ones who have died in Jesus are in his immediate presence. We're talking about sickness. And, 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 and the fear of death, it's, just, it's a fearful thing. To be in the presence of Christ is to have perfect life, perfect joy. We, we can't even describe it. And then in a blink of an eye, Jesus says, you're going back. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if she was crying. But it was necessary. Not for her, for the people all around her. And I'm going to say this and I promise I'll be quiet. These people went to a funeral. These people went to a funeral and what did they walk away from the fun- funeral with? They walked away with Christ. They walked away with Christ. They came to believe that Jesus is the Christ at a funeral. The Bible says it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. They went to a funeral and they walked away believing in Jesus Christ. I have two words. One from Christ, one from Paul. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Here's Paul. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Beloved, the Lord sends us sickness, afflictions, and death that we would learn of Christ and we would live upon him and we would bring him glory. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.